Hello, the Digi Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. This week, we are talking about where the choir should be in your church. Should it be behind the altar? Should it be in a choir loft? Should the choir be amongst the people? So uh, needless to say, some really great conversations about this. So without further ado, episode 27 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. This is going to be a liturgy battle like you. A liturgy battle like you've never seen. In the first corner, we have Dr. Dennis McNamara. A degree in architecture, not even liturgy. And in your other corner, Christopher Custer. He puts the cross in lacrosse. All right, so today we're talking about where you should put the choir in a church. And you guys are kind of talking about uh, difference in opinions, but let's take uh, let's let's talk about this like rational human beings. And people who are well, there's litur- a change for the podcast. and liturgiologists. Stop, let's stop glaring at me, Chris. <laughs> so uh, let's just uh, let's cite your positions first and your 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 thesis statement about why. So we'll start with well, you. Chris. I think what we should start with is uh, what are the the possible placements a choir okay, yeah, could have. I mean, what have what have you seen as you've uh, been from church to church? Where have you witnessed the choir? Old school churches usually have a loft. Okay, so the loft in the, I guess, what you would call above the the entrance, above mm-hmm. the uh, narthex. Okay, yeah. there would be one. Old, old school churches, like the early Roman basilicas, would have choirs in the sanctuary proper, or right in front of the sanctuary. Okay. And then there are others from the 50s and some from the early 60s that had the choir behind the altar, sort of like behind a screen, right behind the altar. Kind of in the, uh, what we would call the, the apse, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then probably most Americans' experience is some kind of platform right next to the sanctuary where the choir faces the people. Kind of an old, uh, like imagine where an old side altar may have uh, have been at one time. Yes. You know, I've seen that actually at St. Peter's in Vatican. If you go to the Vigil Mass on Saturday, they always have guest choirs come in, Mm -hmm. and that's where the choir is. It's just off to the left of... Well, that, yeah, that's kind of another one too. Is is imagine a transept in a church? Mm-hmm. So it's not really um, where we're in front of an For old. For the altar, listeners but, who don't know what a transept is, can we talk about that real quick? It's kind of the arm of the cross in a cross shape. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. And then, uh, well, imagine this one at uh, the the seminary chapel, John Paul II. Mm-hmm. They're kind of in the back of the. Now, granted, this is a chapel. It's not a parish church, although. Uh, I think this has happened in some churches. They're on the floor level, yet in the back part of the church. Imagine like where the last three or four pews might be on either side of, on one side of the the center aisle or another. So they're heard but not seen. Right, right. Choir should be. 
Maybe that's one principle. Choirs should be heard but not seen. <laughs> Unlike children, they should be yeah. heard and not seen. They have a, vo- a voice for radio, but, a face but, for radio. But we've listed, you know, just now, what, five, six, seven different places that uh, choirs uh, currently occupy. And so, I'll give you a million dollars if you can tell me where the church says a choir dun, should be. Dun, dun, uh, yeah. I, okay, no, the, I'll give you I the answer. I could use that a million dollars. The church too. says nothing specific. I will take that million dollars right now. In but pennies. What, what's the Latin for that, Jesse? Uh, n- uh, nada. Well, okay. So you guys have, I think, varying. I would, I dare to say, opinions, but probably just ideas. I just have irrational yeah. responses. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just emotional. We irrational. did say we were going to keep it rational. Just emotional reactions so, to, the, so to the question. Chris, what what is your what's your idea, or what what do you think about this? Well, I would think that uh, each of those five or six or seven or all of them have something can, that can be said for them. Okay. okay? I, I don't think there's any of them that you could really say that is completely out of the question. I think there is one that I yeah, would... This is not really good for your argument, Chris, but but uh, what would you say is an ideal if you had to? Well, I, I'm, I'm making my, uh, my, my preface remarks first. Oh, yeah, sorry. Okay. Plus, he asked me a question. <laughs> so... So I think uh, it's what I'm getting at is I don't think there's one that I I do think one of them, the weight of the the principles points to one in particular, but all of them have something going for them and all of them have some some drawbacks to them. So the one that I would exclude is up next to the sanctuary, directly facing the people, because when you go back to the nature of the choir, choir's job is to help the people sing and to be part of the worshiping assembly. So ideally, a choir should look in the direction of the liturgical action in the sanctuary at the altar, not sing to the people because then they're not part of the congregation. They're a kind of secondary congregation that sings to the people rather than leads the people in singing. And they become a visual rem- distraction pretty quickly. Would you remove them, the situation with the choir behind the altar as well? Well, if it's behind the altar they're in the sanctuary, that's one thing. If they're behind the altar behind a screen and they could be seen and not heard, then that's, yeah. that's okay. See, okay. but even there, I don't think it's as simple as that because the choir's job, according to the general, general instruction good, of the guys. Roman Missal and elsewhere, the choir has two principal jobs. You're right. On the one hand, they are to help the people in singing. And if their position is by the, the, an old side altar singing to the people, that is not generally helping the people to sing. It's turning the people into... An audience. Uh, an audience. Makes them right? spectators, which sure. the, the liturgical movement specifically did not want. Right. And so, but on the other hand, the other part of that is that they're supposed to sing parts proper to themselves. Now, this in it, this principle in itself has been very much downplayed by, by some, is that, you know, it, it, it's, for some, it's verboten that the choir would sing anything on its own, right? It's because the people are supposed to sing everything all the time as often as possible. Right. But, that's, but that's not uh, But a contemplative, meditative song Absolutely. after communion is fine. All right. But even so then, they're not singing it to the people. They're singing, they're filling the church with the sound of mm-hmm. heaven mm-hmm. that the people didn't so hear, but it's still... A, are they singing it for the people or well, on behalf of the people? They're sacramentalizing the, the sounds of heaven yeah. to okay. dispose the people to prayer. But it's not singing to an audience ever. I don't think a choir ever does that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, what, what is the, the key aim to be considered before all others in the reform and restoration of the sacred liturgy? Active participation. Active participation. In the of the church. Yeah, not passive participation. Now, we've talked about active participation before. You can be silent and you can hear readings and singing and preaching and be very active. But you're right. Anything that would sort of 
encourage uh, the, the assembly to turn into to an audience is contrary to the very first principle named by the Second Vatican Council. So what I, I still don't know what you guys are your I guess opinion or well I I I guess I was giving a little bit more credence mm-hmm. to the position of the choir there. Um, but I think Dennis is right. That would be the, yes, <laughs> the first one. That'd be the first one to go. That has the most problems. I okay, think, and yet it tends to be the most common one that we use. It does. In I, churches, I, I renovating so, old churches. Mm-hmm. So we we'll remove that one. Okay, so but there's more. I mean, uh, the, so why is it so popular? I think people think of a choir as that group that entertains us. I think if someone is thinking about it a bit, they might say, "Oh, well, you should see the choir because they're leading us in song." Mm-hmm. But I think what happens typically is you see the music director, you see the music stand, you see the chords and the microphones hanging from the ceiling, and you see people scratching their ears. And all of a sudden, the thing that should be the natural focus of the liturgy, which is the action at the altar and all of its surrounding arts, becomes secondary to all this movement off to one side. And it becomes competition with the primary yeah. things. Yeah. Again, I guess I have to agree with you on that. I mean, yes, the, the, I the priest is to is to lead the people too. And so it's understandable that he is generally on a raised level in the, uh, uh, in the sanctuary. He stands at the head of the assembly. Um, yeah, and so too with the choir, part of it's, it, it can facilitate to a certain degree its leadership role to be visible. But as you say, choirs are, uh, I'm in a choir, you're in a choir. Are you in a choir, Jesse? Um, He's an acquired taste. That's yeah, for sure. yeah. <laughs> Back at you, man. This is not my episode. I'm just supposed to. I'm just supposed to deliver. You know, oh, I'm sure uh, you'll moderate. make a comeback with a vengeance. Yeah, I know. Here. I know. Uh, but you're right. Choirs are. Uh, they're just. They're distracting. Potentially distracting bodies. As you said, water bottles and music stands and paper and moving from the tenor section to the bass section and whatever. It's not because they're. Uh, they're not trying to be prayerful or they're somehow bad and nothing like that at all. It's just the nature of, of doing a number of pieces of music is, uh, uh, re- requires a lot. So yeah, that position in, uh, in the front of the church can be, uh, rather distracting. Now you mentioned a place before, or rather you did Jesse. So imagine the choir were sort of at the back of the apse, you know, behind a screen. I can think for example, in the diocese of Lincoln at its cathedral, um, and I think this is the only example I've seen of this, is if you were standing in the middle of the nave, looking up the center aisle, you would see the uh, the altar and then the bishop's chair, and then you would see this big screen. And you'd think that's the wall, but really it's not. Behind that screen, it's like a mesh almost, or like a screen okay. on the screen door. That's where all the choir is. So you cannot see them. But they can see you. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But you, you can't see them at all. And there was a little revival of that in the mid-20th century because people were trying to get back to the early Christian model of choir being primarily a clerical choir. It was the priest choir, kind of like a monastic choir. And, you know, if you see some of the great Anglican churches, they have all the little boys' choirs and their cassock and surplus, and they're in their choir stalls in the sanctuary, but they're very controlled. They're in ecclesiastical dress. They're all singing. They don't have a lot of visual uh, distractions like music stands and microphones and that kind of thing. So a choir can be seen, but typically most of the time our choirs are a bit visually distracting. But what they wanted was to get the choir near the altar, which is its early Christian model, that they were priests who were praising God, kind of like the Levites in the temple, that the sound around would surround the altar. And so a lot of this notion of moving the choir to the sanctuary was partly in that. Of course, in the 60s, that became, let's put the folk group up on the stage next to the altar. And it kind of distorted the original intention, I think. 
Yeah, I don't know if there's anything to this, Dennis. You can confirm or deny this, but you know, imagine in, in a transept-shaped cha- uh, church that looks like a cross, looks like perhaps a body. I mean, the you know, the choir is in a sense uh, geographically located in that church, in the where the mouth, in the throat, or yeah. in the mouthpiece of uh, you know where it would be in a body. So maybe that's too too much of a transliteralization or whatever the, the term might be. But there there's at least some. Uh, some analogy trying to be made there with the placement of the choir and the mystical body. If which you is go worshiping. to a monastic church, you know, and usually you'll have the nave and then there'll be the sanctuary and the screen and the choir stalls of the monks will be there and the altar might be beyond that. But they are very controlled in their movements and they're very rehearsed and they know what they're singing and they don't become visual distraction. The real, the real question is, is the choir a visual distraction from the action of the liturgy? Are they obscuring it by their... Kind of their necessary messiness as choirs are these days, or are they contributing to the liturgical realities? Yeah. Well, let's take a, a third position that the choir could occupy relative to both of these. Let's say you have a, you do have a transept to the left or the right of the sanctuary, and the choir were were there, so it's not um, facing the people. It's not a necessarily an elevated uh, platform looking at the people. Uh, it's not invisible behind uh, the screen at the apse. So it's kind of tucked to one of the one of the arms does that does that help to overcome any of the difficulties does it uh, add any benefit to its position what are the drawbacks there well i think that's in many ways an ideal solution because especially if you have a a cross-shaped church and maybe the altar is right under the crossing so you have three people sitting on three sides of it one of the groups is the choir and you can see them but in your peripheral vision but they're not uh, in your direct line of sight, it keeps the church altar dominant as it should be. It allows the choir to have a clear, liter- you know, linear view to the altar, so they're worshiping. You know, and this not is performing. a this is a great point too. Is uh, at one point uh, the general instruction and other documents will speak about the choir having access to its own full and active participation. Is that they too, and by what they mean primarily, I think, is full Eucharistic participation. But again, if you've been in a choir, sometimes. Uh, uh, <laughs> Again, sometimes choir members uh, are often the most checked out. I mean, and, and on the one hand, they members can be um, obviously this is not true of every choir member, but are in some ways very engaged. But when not singing, it's it's easy to to check out, especially um, altos. They get a bad rap for that. <laughs> they deserve it. They're chatty. It's ridiculous. But choir members themselves have a right and an obligation to be fully engaged in the liturgy as well. So. Uh, this point that you're making is is its position in a transept allows them uh, their own active participation. In the and they also don't have to go down two flights of stairs to go receive communion. You see many choirs receive communion after Mass. Or they have a messenger to send it up there. Or, yeah, there's somebody comes and brings it to them. Have you ever been the psalmist and you have to get back to the choir? You sing the psalm from the ambo and then you have to get back to the Run choir. Run up the stairs and you're out of breath. You're completely out of breath. Hashtag <laughs> liturgy problems. <laughs> So, I mean, the ideal situation is the choir is performs a liturgical ministry, and all the documents, the modern documents, say they are m- members of the worshiping community. They don't sing to the community. They sing as members of the community to help lead the others. So I think in an ideal situation, say you're a kid, and your mom and your dad both know these hymns, and you're standing between them, and the fact that they're singing the hymns kind of carry you along as, as you learn the hymns. That's, I think, the model of a choir. It should help people sing their parts. 
and then uh, the contemplative times it can sing music that enhances the the, vid- the visual not the visual the audio audio uh, beauty of the room. Yeah, and it's for it is for those reasons that I think the next choir placement in the choir loft does that uh, in an even better way. Okay, so Chris, what is uh, uh, ding ding in this yeah. corner? And it's about to get real right now. <laughs> it's about to get real. Oh, man. Well, we used to be friends. <laughs> the qui- well, <laughs> there will be no more podcasts after this. What I think the choir loft can do is all those things that uh, Dennis just mentioned. It can help them, you know. He talked about, you know, singing a hymn or a proper. In case you want to do that, Dennis, I do. But uh, uh, it helps to to you know carry the sound along from uh, through the nave, through the whole body of the church, through the assembly, back to the altar. You know, through you know carrying mother and father's uh, prayers along too. Uh, I think. J- the other problem, perhaps, with uh, the transept position of the choir is at least it's kind of singing across, perhaps, uh, the nave of the I church. I was going to ask the, that. Is it practical with the with the sound carrying? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe a couple of things could be said about that. On the one hand, although many people who... <laughs> the transept, on the one hand, <laughs> I get it. That's good. On the uh, 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 First of all, w- with modern sound equipment, maybe uh, the, the natural acoustic of a building isn't as important, but I think many people realize that that's simply not the case. Too many churches still have very uh, pretty poor uh, acoustics. And I think acoustically, the best place... So this would be simply if it were simply a musical decision, and if the choir's job was simply to help support the wave of music that comes from the assembly, I think the choir loft is probably uh, the best, okay? Because it gives this. Uh, the analogy is right. Why do people sing in the shower? Because right? it's filled with hard surface. Maybe you don't. Well, then uh, nobody can <laughs> hear me. That's or hear you. That's it, the real it, reason. No, it creates a resonance with the hard surfaces. Presumably your shower's not carpeted. I always you know. sound better in the shower, that's but, for sure. It takes something of the sound and makes it full <laughs> and alive. Shower. It comes around. It, the, the, the sound coming from the choir loft does something similar and carries the singer. You know, when the person behind you is singing really well, really strongly, uh, really, you know, it, may, it encourage you to, encourages you to sing. But if you feel like you're the only one singing in that church, well, then I'll just... Or if the person bit. behind you sings poorly... Then you know you have to sing louder. <laughs> well, the weak singers should always sit up front. You know, the people who don't feel good about singing kind of slink in the back and don't want to sing much, but they should be in the front so they can hear the good people, the strong singers behind them. Yeah. But so the good thing about a loft, right, is yeah. you have the sense of the sound coming down from heaven. You know, if you're talking about a choir being the angels and the voices of the angels and saints sacramentalized, and then it seems to come down from above. There's something really great about that. Also, you can't see the choir typically, so they're kind of uh, out of your visual distraction uh, mode, which is which is very good. And they're yeah, technically it, still part of the the people. They're just in a different. In a sense, they're kind of in a separate place. You know. Yeah. They're, well, that that does seem to be a real debatable point. You know, is a, do those in the choir loft cease to become a part of the worship worshiping assembly or? Are they a particular part of the assembly having a unique role, which is pretty much what the general instruction says? And this is where I think people of good uh, faith can disagree. Uh, I would think they would be, you know, when when you're behind the screen in the apps, like we described before, I mean, you're in a different room at that point, it seems to me. There's a wall between you and the rest of the assembly. Here, you might be on a different level, but then again, the sanctuary is on a different level. You're just in a different part, but of the same building. It seems, at least to, to me, that uh, that they ret- they remain a part of, of the worshiping assembly, yet in a unique place. But again, not, not everybody sees it that way. 
And part of it too is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say the O word again, but ontologically, you know, what is a choir? If you think the choir is the folk group that keeps the kids happy singing bippity boppity songs, you know, you're going to want to see them and you're going to hear them and you want to see them dance around. If you think the choir's job is to sacramentalize the voice of the angels and saints around the throne of God in heaven, then they're a different kind of thing. And so I think it's worth asking the question, what's a choir, properly speaking? I know, Chris, you're, you're good with documents. And what, does the, what does the church say a choir does? What's their purpose? Well, again, their purpose is, is really twofold. is one, to sing parts proper to themselves on behalf or for the edification of the assembly, and two, to support the assembly in their own singing. Uh, that seems to be the two principal parts of what the choir does, at least. But, you know, I liked what you said before is they have, you know, they help to sacramentalize this choir of angels. I mean, they're a, vis- a visible, audible, sacramental expression of, you know, the angelic choirs are, are very much present, you know, uh, when we celebrate the liturgy. And they can be present in windows and via the, the mosaics and the rest, but also through the choir itself. And so it can help to add that mystical and mystagogical element uh, as well. I thought this was going to be like a liturgy battle, and you guys are complimenting each other. I'm a little You're so upset great at this, Chris. Thank but you so much. I do. Well, I do. But, have but a, I mean, can can, yeah, can a choir lead the singing from aloft? Sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it, they certainly would in a different way than were they, say, near the front. What are some of the drawbacks you would that that commonly? Uh, we mentioned one. You know, what are some of the drawbacks of having the choir in the loft? One is that they seem to remove from the rest of the assembly. The other one that we hear often is what? Accessibility. Well, right, you need your elevators to get up there, which is difficult to put in the old churches or expensive to put in new churches. Yeah, and I don't think that's a, an objection that should be quickly dismissed. Um, be- yeah, it's hard for the singers to get down, to, to do things, as we right. talked before, the psalmist and receiving communion. And I think it is easy when you're up there. Oh, no one's looking at me, so I can just goof around. You know, like everything else, though. You every location has its challenges, and you have to concentrate and pay attention and have an attention span uh, liturgically to do it well, no matter where you are. Let's uh, let's take this to what, what I guess I'd consider is the final choir placement that we talked about. Let's say uh, you had them on the floor, yet in the back of the. Uh, uh, of the nave near the near the narthex near the entrance but they're on the floor level uh, occupying what we describe as maybe the last two or three or four pews on the floor level what um it seems to me that would be a, a case where the accessibility uh, is question is 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 not an issue any seems longer. like both of you would agree to that right uh-oh. Not ready to come I well, think cause that's because your big point Dennis was that you're a part of the the congregation mm-hmm and your big point was that um, helping, you know, sound quality, helping to lead and all of that, which we talked about being in front of the good singers helps you, it um, kind of guides you to sing, right? Yeah. I, I think that position actually has a lot going for it. Um, and that's one I actually rarely see. It is pretty rare to see, but I, uh, it, it seems like it's a, it's a more viable option more and more. What, is it, is, again, it's at, it's in the chapel at uh, Mundelein Seminary. How, do you have any experience, Dennis, of how it seems to work there? It works pretty well. I mean, when we were planning, we put it there because there was no choir loft and there was not enough room in the sanctuary and because we had the fundamental philosophy that choirs should not become visual distractions. And so it works out pretty well, except, you know, the first time you step in the door, the first thing you see on your right-hand side is 
the music stands and the piano mm. and the organ. And so it can be a little visually distracting. One of the things about the choir loft is you can have all your messy choir stuff up there and people don't see it. Where if you put it right inside the front door, it's pretty much the first thing you see when you come in the door. So we don't really have, uh, we don't have a good solution to this. I, I do have another question that I think um, maybe some of our listeners are, are thinking, what takes precedent um, in terms of the choir? Is it the, uh, p- like, in terms of the position, is it the best position for the best sound quality? Is that, the, is that more important than, you know, maybe some of these other principles that we're talking about? Because I think, uh, depending on the church and the acoustics and all of that, I mean, the sound quality might be way better. I mean, we talked about being in the transept Maybe some people in the nave won't be able to, to hear as well uh, because the direction of the, the the your voice. So what what is priority in that in that sense? Well, again, I think uh, if we listen to the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, the first principle is the full active conscious participation of the people. All right. So where I mean, we could add in addition to that, uh, kind of liturgical principle number one. You know, everything is for the glory of God and for the sanctification of the people. Where in the church can the choir best help the people to actively participate in the saving action of Jesus Christ for their sanctification unto the glory of God? I mean, now, that in itself is, uh, I don't know, maybe choir directors and pastors and choir members and architects uh, uh, speak that way when they get together. Yeah, they should all get together and hash it out. But if they're talking about other things, as important as those things might be, it's not the main thing. That seems to me it should be the main thing in the in the, in the first uh, determination. Um, so where where can that happen? I think it, it it can take a variety of places. I mean, the 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 sound and the acoustic quality is a very important one. Um, I think that's kind of presumed that you're going to find a good place to hear what the choir is doing, no matter what. But I don't think it's mutually exclusive either. No, exactly. I mean, I think you can have all of those in one. Well, I think the, yeah, it, it has to be a part of it. Remember, uh, Monsignor Mannion, who founded the Liturgical Institute, used to say, you know, people can, uh, in a big church, you know, they can get by with not being able to see everything, but it's when they can't hear that they get especially frustrated with the building that they're in. And so the hearing and the sound quality and the acoustics is part and parcel of their active participation and part and parcel of their sanctification in God's glory. Right, and part of it is because the liturgy is a word-based Operation. I'm looking at chapter 6 of uh, Sacrosanct and Concilium, and it says, The main reason for the preeminence of, of music among the arts is because the melody is united to the words of the liturgy. So if the choir is singing beautiful liturgical words, but you're not paying attention because you see all the kids you know, picking their noses because they're visually distracting, that is not letting the words be preeminent. And so that's really the question. Does the choir make the uh, integral part of the solemn liturgy or does it become this other thing that's that's not part of the liturgy and instead interrupts the the natural flow of it yeah and i think we often see sometimes and uh, often sometimes uh, I, th- I think we do see in in mass that the choir can look like a it's a performance you know uh you, you talked about having a you know a meditation hymn after communion but sometimes that's like the big show, and I've even heard people applaud after a right. solo or things like that during Mass, you know? And so I think that's what obviously... What Cardinal Ratzinger say about that, do you know? <laughs> when you hear applause, you know that God has left the building. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's become a, uh, 
it's become a uh, uh, it's become a human event at that. It's point. completely broken. He says it's completely broken down the notion of liturgical music as the singing of liturgical texts. I mean, would you applaud because the priest said the Eucharistic prayer? Well, wow. Well, you would hope he would say it right, right? And if he did he it would, well, you would maybe. hope he did direct it to the Father as Christ. Um, but if he comes look at my Eucharistic prayer show so much that you want to applaud, then you know something's not right. Maybe if his orons are like just perfect posture, I would be like, yeah, that's great. You know, the, the chapter six of Sacrosanct Concilium also says that sacred music increases in holiness when it is intimately linked with the liturgical action, winningly expresses prayerfulness. That's an interesting term. That Winning, is good. Winningly like and promotes solidarity. So really, that's the question. When, where do you put the altar to, to do all those things? If it interrupts the... the you mean the action, choir, right? Uh, sorry, yeah, the choir. Yeah, if you, if you put those in a place that doesn't express prayerfulness, but you know, even if you see a choir, say you see a choir of uh, kids in the cassock and surplus, and they are so prayerful and they're singing Kyrie Eleison, whatever, even if you can see them, they're not really a distraction because you kind of know they're there, but they don't draw, constantly draw you back and you can kind of concentrate on, on the altar. Or you could have a choir moving around a lot and constantly a visual distraction no matter what they're singing. It's their visual distraction that's going to dominate over the words that they're saying. Dennis, do you care to answer this? I mean, all things being equal, you're building a church from ground up, unlimited resources. Where would you put the choir? Unlimited there's, there's no, resources. There's no restrictions. Uh, I would say they wouldn't be visible. That would be the first <laughs> thing. Or at least not excessively easily visible. They could be in a transept, maybe, where you could see them, but they would not be dominantly visible. In the rear of the church, on the floor, the rear, yeah. I mean, I came into this saying I'm opposed to choir lofts, but I'm not really opposed to choir lofts. They just, they just have their drawbacks, like everything else does. So, how successfully did I not answer that question? <laughs> very, <laughs> very successfully, not answered. You, know, you know, th th this is a good illustration of so many things liturgical. It's just not a matter of looking up. The, into the germ or the code or something like right, that. But these are real things to have discussions about, not, You're right. not some of the things that are absolute and taught. Precisely. And so many things are like that. I mean, you, you have to apply liturgical, uh, and in this case, musical principles to uh, to a variety of situations and, and, and find the best solution because it is not a matter of looking up the right answer in the book. Well, but, choirs do not sing to the people. They are not a performance group. They're not separate from the members of the mystical body assembled in that place. They're always part of that congregation. I think that's the principle that gets applied wherever they go. And if anything, if the architect or the pastor together make a decision that they are no longer part of the congregation but are performing to the congregation, then something's seriously wrong. Well, this has been our first liturgy battle, folks. And that wasn't boy, shake my hand. It was a draw. Oh, yeah. 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 They look, they're very friendly a, with each other. You should have seen the pre-show when they were really duking it out. I mean, it was great. I Blood. thought, yeah, I, I thought this was going to be better than it actually was. So, but uh, I kicked his flying buttress. <laughs> oh, <laughs> are you going to let him say that to you, Chris? He knows it's true. I'm not witty enough to come up with a rejoinder. All right. Sounds good. So let's answer uh, an email question from a listener. An easy one. Hey, Liturgy Guy listeners, this is your host, Jesse Weiler. And before we get into this week's email question, I wanted to quickly remind you about our Young Adult Liturgy Conference coming up in April 2017. If you're a young adult and you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, both Dennis and Chris will be speaking at this Young Adult Liturgy Conference in Chicago. So to learn more about that, go to www.betransfigured.com. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? 
Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, not just ritual anthropology, but really discovering the mystery of prayer and at the same time the depth of the tradition, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right, this week we have a question from Anonymous. Anonymous says, I went to a parish this weekend and I saw a large crucifix on the altar facing the priest. Uh, what is the purpose of this crucifix and is it allowed? Why don't we take those in reverse order? Is it allowed? Not only is it allowed, it is requested in the general instruction, not necessarily that it be on the altar, but if you go to the general instruction of the Roman Missal, number 117, uh, it says, also on or close to the altar, there is to be a cross with the figure of Christ crucified. This is mentioned again in 122 and also several times uh, later, specifically saying uh, cru a crucifix or a cross with a corpus on it is on or near the altar. Yeah, and this, um, that it is on the altar and in fact is now sizable. You know, it seems to me, uh, whether my experience is indicative of how things should have been or not, there were often altar crosses that either, I remember most of them just lying flat on the altar, but occasionally uh, standing upright. And more and more, there's upright standing crucifixes of some size. And it seems that the, uh, the impetus for this uh, trend most recently is uh, Pope Benedict XVI and what has come to be called the Benedictine altar arrangement, where the, the candles are across the front side of the altar, the priest is celebrating versus populum and in the middle is this large uh, crucifix the sizable crucifix that both uh, he and the people uh, look at and pope francis has seemed to have continued this tradition right it uh, when, you, when you see pictures of him celebrating mass the same benedictine altar arrangement uh, still exists saint peter's saint john lateran uh, you Oprah. said the people and the priest is there a corpus on either side or how does it face both people well I think they do actually make uh, these crosses with uh, really? corpi on uh, both sides. I don't <laughs> think that's, that's not very common. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. think that's ideal. I think it would be the priest. Um, uh, see, the idea is is that you know the priest, especially at that point in the mass, is in a real sense Christ upon the cross, and so for him, this is a this is another way to help him to enter into the mystery. You know. The, one of the ways that Pope Benedict uh, explained it in his book, uh, The Spirit of the Liturgy, it's in the context of, uh, of a common orientation towards the East of both priest and people, at least at these certain parts of the Mass. And this, of course, is a question that has uh, uh, resurfaced with the comments from Cardinal Seurat most recently. But this, at least, is the rationale that Pope Benedict gives in The Spirit of the Liturgy. He says, where a common turning toward the East is not possible, the cross can serve as the interior East of faith, it should stand in the middle of the altar and be the common point of focus for both priest and praying community. In this way, we obey the ancient call, turn toward the Lord. In this way, we look together to the one whose death tore the veil of the temple. 
He says a little farther on, moving the altar cross to the side to give an uninterrupted view of the priest is something I regard as one of the truly absurd phenomena of recent decades. Is the cross disruptive during mass? Is the priest more important than the Lord? And so this at least is his mind for having this uh, large uh, crucifix in the middle of the altar. And as is typical with a lot of ecclesiastical documents, the uh, U.S. Bishop's document, Built of Living Stones, says, if the cross on the altar becomes too big and begins to obscure the view of the priest, it may be moved to the side or some other location. So the U.S. Bishops are given permission for that. But here's the way to think about it. You know, if you imagine before the the mass was celebrated versus populum or toward the people or facing the people you'd have a priest uh with his face you know toward the lord the all the people in the pews would be in the same direction there'd be a crucifix small crucifix in front of him and that would be kind of this bridge between the priest and the people and god the father so christ the bridge builder his life death resurrection his passion would all be kind of summed up in this little image and be a bridge to the heavenly realities so imagine taking that whole arrangement with the cross, the candlesticks, the altar, and just turning it 180 degrees. The priest is not saying mass to the people. The priest is celebrating mass ad deum, or to God. And the people happen to be looking at the other side of him now rather than the back of him. And so it's not a change in who is the recipient of the priestly action. It's just a change in what the people see as what the priests are doing. So the notion of the crucifix as the reminder of this um, sacrifice of Christ being offered to the Father is still where it always was. It just happens now to be turned around 180 degrees. And is this all separate than the processional cross? Well, in the documents, uh, uh, what it will say is the processional cross can either serve as the altar cross if there isn't another one in the sanctuary. If there is another one in the sanctuary, then it's put outside of the sanctuary. It's put okay. away. Again, there's this desire for singularity uh, to, that helps uh, the people to focus on, um, on, on the one element, whether it's the tabernacle, the one altar, the one cross, the one ambo. Cetera. Okay. And sometimes you see the big crucifix on the rear wall of a church, which is a relatively modern phenomenon. If you find a church from 1880, you don't see a 20-foot crucifix on the rear wall. Uh, that was typically the priest's crucifix that had grown large. And as people were more and more interested in the people in the pews, realizing that they were offering their sacrifice with the priest, it kind of began to grow. And it got bigger and bigger so that people could see it. And you actually see that in the documents to this day, that it says it should be visible to the people. And the idea is that they know that they're offering their sacrifice with the priest together as the image of the mystical body and the crucifix is the reminder uh, of that and bringing that all to mind so that they can offer themselves as victims to the Father to get themselves back resurrected and glorified. All right, Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. And uh, if anybody else wants to submit a question to the Liturgy Guys, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.